Okay, so my name is Rihanna. It's late, so I'm laying down. I started this podcast because I kept finding myself having conversations with myself. And I said that I was going to start a podcast later in the year. It's 2021 right now. I said I was going to start it later in the year. But today, it's like today I just felt like the biggest urge to just do it now. So here we are. Um, and there's no rhyme or reason for it. Um, it's just something I feel called to do and I am honoring that call. So today I went through a few thoughts and I'll go through those, those thoughts with you. It started off with me like acknowledging the last couple of days I've been in a funk. No like explained funk. No one, you know, like no one was a catalyst for it. No one initiated it. Nothing was done to me. Nothing happened. It's just kind of like, ugh. but I also within that funk found myself being emotionally manipulative. <laughs> And I say it in a sense because now I'm able to acknowledge that, damn, that was low-key, low-vibrational. As much as we try to get away from it, as much as we try to do better, we still have those moments where we work in autopilot or our subconscious starts to come through and we make these really wild decisions. Um But then even in the midst of me admitting that I was like being emotionally manipulative, I also had to stop myself and ask really, why was I trying to justify or why was I trying to I guess, yeah, justify the behavior or take so much responsibility of my actions when, you know, part of my actions were a reaction to something, whether I overreacted, it was still, it's like one of those things, what comes first, the chicken or the egg, right? And I don't know, it made me dig a little deeper. It made me ask, you know, more questions like, what what was I doing on on the individual side, on the side of just myself, this moment of solitude, what was I doing? Was it one of those things where I was willing to take full responsibility because that would help me try to um, problem solve the situation faster? And was I doing it because I was uncomfortable in this space of tension, conflict. And with that space of tension and conflict, there is a heavy sense of being in the unknown. Regardless of who who it's with or what it's about, some people do not, you know, are not ones that are comfortable with conflict. Then we have those that are 
but I don't know if they really are. I don't know if anyone, I mean, I know as there's millions and billions, right? Billions of people? There's billions of people out in the world, so I'm sure somebody is okay. There are a group of or a percentage of people that are okay with conflict, but I feel like the greater number of people are not okay with conflict, but they choose to do it, and I feel like it's more so in a sense of choosing themselves. Anyway, anyway, I can go on and on, but what point was I trying to make? Oh, was I trying to take responsibility for this situation so that I can find a way to be the person who ends this length of like how long this tension or this conflict goes? And then, of course, with my, I guess, interest, my background interest, all these certain things, I start to look at how, where did this come from? Like, does it come from childhood? Does it come from just habitual experiences and relationships? Like, what is it? And of course, I can attach it to childhood in some sort of sense, like, the fear or the uncomfortableness of being in trouble by your parents and wanting to fix it so that everything is smooth and okay. By the way, I'm a Pisces moon, so that probably has a lot to do with it. But also it is, yeah, we can just go there. We can, we can use that. Not wanting to dive any deeper into the parental child relationship side of it but more so on the side of how it's been habitual in relationships right um yeah that's weird it was like I had to kind of admit that at this point in my life I'm not although I I truly, truly dislike conflict. I can't continue to avoid it for the sake of not experiencing it because it it doesn't make it go away. And I think if it does go away, it only creates other things like codependency, um, toxic detachment issues, um just toxic relationship patterns, whether they're one-sided or, you know, mutually exchanged. But it's an experience. And I think the conflict is, I, I said it earlier, it's really in the sense of it being unknown. Like the unknown, like, is this, like, where do we go from here? If I'm not the one taking the lead and initiating that this gets better, That means that I have to play the waiting game for the other person to initiate it or let time pass and all this other stuff. And I'll be wanting to know, I'll be needing to know, like, what is it? What does the next step look like in all areas of life? Like I can eat breakfast and start planning what I'm going to eat for lunch or start planning what I'm going to eat for dinner. Or I can be at Monday trying to plan what's going to happen on Thursday. So it's not just in this specific area. I think it's just who people tend to be in general. But that creates a problem. 
it creates a problem because if you find yourself having an issue with being in this space of not knowing what the next steps look like, we often, those same people often have a fear of being alone. Because sometimes that has no time limit, no end date, no expiration. And so you find things to do. So people can say, I'm single, I'm single, I'm single, I'm single. I hadn't had a relationship in this, 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 this. But really take account. Is that the case or is that truly the case? Or have you in some sort of way occupied yourself with more friendships, more family time, more social media time? Is it truly single? Is it truly isolation? Or is it covert bullshit? I've done it, so I know it's covert covert bullshit. I'm okay with that, though. I'm okay with the fact that I am a diehard people person. But what I will not continue to be is a diehard people pleaser. It just doesn't work. And I think as you go through this journey of understanding yourself, really self-reflecting, Oh my gosh, this is the hardest thing to do. Self-reflecting, if you're not in good practice with it, it's like pulling teeth. It's like, okay, okay, you know how you have that, that one tooth that's ready to come out. Not the one that's hanging by a thread, but the one that's still kind of in the the groove of whatever that's called in your gum. That space in your gum. And you actively have to yank it out. The yanking it out is the self-reflection because you're facing what what the bigger picture, what it looks like from the outside in and the ugliness of it all. As much as, (laughs) as much as it's uh, hard, it's very helpful. So anyway, I've always like conditioned myself to self-reflect. Um, It's just a thing. I think it comes from me living in my head a lot. So I think about a situation. I think about it. But I think about it in a sense to see the whole picture. Like, okay, I did this. They did that. I did this. They did that. That happened. I felt like this. I said that. And they reacted as if they felt like that. So a full situation, right? But a couple of things during this recent self-reflection I was able to admit to myself is that I don't like being corrected. And I think in the midst of this situation, I admitted that out loud. I don't. And I'll tell you why. I spent so much time being corrected. As a person, you spend so much time being corrected. It... it, and it it takes a level of humility to continue to experience that day in and day out for the rest of your life for decades for what comes after decades half a century for if you make it to a century you a bad motherfucker okay but 
it takes a sense of humility. And sometimes I feel like because for me, I feel like I've given so much humility away, like to be corrected, even if it's just minor, it it's it's not necessarily a trigger. It's annoying. It's so annoying as a child, you know you you're introduced to the word no and the word no is given to you as a sense of correction to guide you to keep you on the the railroad tracks that your parents have laid for you nope no 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 do it like this do it like this nope don't say that like that especially if you live in a black home don't say that like that you should really say it like this no it's 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 not just no it's no thank you it's just it's not just please it's please and thank you it's in some areas of uh the states country world it's not yes it's yes ma'am yes sir um i even had someone tell me one time when someone says thank you it's not enough to say no problem, no worries, as if it's it, you didn't take anything from me. It's really my pleasure to do it for you. That wasn't enough. The appropriate thing to say is you're welcome. See, and that was in grad school when that happened. So a sense of being corrected, being corrected in school, you're you shouldn't talk as much. You shouldn't do this societal corrections. Well, girls' skirts shouldn't be that short. Girls shouldn't wear this kind of clothing. Girls are too young to wear this kind of makeup. Critique all over the place. And so by the time you consider yourself an adult and in a sense where you've established who you are, you've established all the things that, you know, make you up, you have a good sense of yourself and I think that's really the, the key point there is having a good sense of yourself. And then someone comes along, you say something, they're like, no, actually, it's this. Like, damn, even now, me using my own brain, you, me using my own logic is not enough. I'm corrected on that. That's how I felt. It's a lot. Was I in the wrong? Shit, I don't know. I'm pretty sure at some perspective, at some angle of this situation, I may have taken it too seriously, but that doesn't mean that from my perspective where I'm standing, that I should take it back. Do you get what I'm saying? So in your situations, even though the other person may have a perspective and an outlook and an opinion on how things could have gone, how you could have done things differently, it's cool to listen to it. But if you're constantly eating and digesting someone else's opinions and someone else's ideas and someone else's perspective, where does the satisfaction of your own stuff come from? What is the satisfaction of your own ideas, your own self-reflection, which should probably provide more nutrients than someone else at some point in time in your life? When is that more significant? Who makes the distinction that, okay, this is a good time to listen to others, and then this is a good time where you have to trust yourself? 
Because right now, especially with the whole move of spirituality, it's all about trusting your intuition, trusting your gut, trusting yourself. You have all of the answers, but there's still a level of participation in society where you are corrected, where someone feels like you should say this better or say this differently or say it this way. But one thing I want to give people the power to do is yes, by all means, you can consider it. But the other person should also consider the best way for that information to be relayed to you. Because think of the think of the crosswalk, right? A crosswalk has been made over the years has been made adaptable to everybody. It's for getting for it's for pedestrians to get from one point from point A to point B. At one point in time, the curb was a curb. It was a a ledge, basically. You can consider it a step. You had to step off of the curb into the street, walk, you know, your little path to get to the other part to step back onto the curb. It was off the ground. It was a lift, right? Higher than a lip. You had to really step up. So that only makes it accessible to a certain amount of people. So people who are in walkers, it's hard for them. People who are in wheelchairs, they have to be, you know, it decreases their independence. They have to be accompanied by someone. So over time, um, uh, whomever, I don't know who who makes these changes, but they decided that, okay, we're going to make it accessible for this person. Um, But it took for people to fight for that. It took for, you know, whoever makes these decisions to understand that, okay, that makes sense. They're having a hard time with this. Um, And this is, you know, if this is their only sense of, uh, what is it, transportation, ambulation, um, travel from point A to point B, it's only right that we consider the needs that they're requesting. You follow me? Okay. So they created a divot. They created like a groove to where it's leveled. There's a spot on the curb that's leveled between with the street and, you know, when you get back onto the concrete. So cool. Bikes can access that. People in wheelchairs can access that. All these sorts of things. So then a few years pass and um, I don't know which came first. I think it was when they put the, the crosswalk button up where you can push it and it lets you know, right? So um, what am I trying to say? So there was two things. It was a sensor, there was a, a touch sensor to where you push it. It, uh, it sends signals down under to let, you know, the lights know, okay, there is also pedestrians here. Let's slow this traffic down, come into a stop so they can cross. Not only did they do that, eventually they put up the something for you to see, a visual aid up there to tell you stop, to tell you walk, things like that. Okay, so that takes care of that takes care of the people who uh, 
whomever who don't follow, you know, the comprehend who can't comprehend easily. It just made it flow easier, probably because accidents were happening again, considering people how to how to make this process a little more smoother so that everyone is safe and that everyone is able. There's a flow with everyone who accesses this intersection. So one thing that they also which I feel like was amazing because that is when we are considering absolutely everyone is when they put the tone sensor up there so the tone sensor lets you know two things it lets you know when it's safe to start walking for people who are visually impaired who can't see the um crosswalk monitor or the traffic um and then it also lets you know when your time is about to run out, because that's another thing they added, letting you some intersections have the countdown. So anyway, I'm saying all of that to say when people make their needs known at one point in time, even though I don't like to be corrected, if I'm saying this and I'm requesting for a difference in tone, a difference in approach, a difference in all of these things. At one point, is it considered by the um, presenter on all platforms, just if it's someone at work, if it's someone within the family unit, you know, because it happens. I've had that conversation several times with family in a sense like bruh don't like I'd appreciate if you don't talk to me like that and again it's a hard pill to swallow and you never know there's always that waiting period to see if people actually respect your wishes so in situations when when is it more so on the presenter than the receiver on the giver of this this conflict or this thing that person a me let's take me when is it on the person who is providing me with this critique and this correction to adjust their tone and their approach and their presentation of it when is the onus on them I feel like that's fair a lot of people want to be accepted for who they are a lot so if there's two people in a situation both of them, if it's going to be mutual, both of them have to equally be accepted for who they are. But then in the midst of that, there's some point in time where those lines blur because you spend so much time together. You, you know, you share experiences together at some point in time. You have to melt together and that melting requires compromise, that melting, that bleeding into one another requires for you to give some of yourself to receive some of the other person because if there's no give that's only water and oil and yes they can you know thrive amongst each other but there's always clear boundaries and a separation they don't truly melt mix mesh And it led me to this other thought of a, a situation I had with someone. And it happened a while back, but nothing was ever, like, no situation was ever resolved. 
And again, even with and it was taken account of like how I deal with conflict, how it's uncomfortable, but how me trying to avoid the uncomfortableness in the situation only causes only puts me in a position to really become that people pleaser. Do you see what I'm saying? For the sake of it's like saving the whole relationship, sacrificing pieces of myself it's sacrificial. I always put myself up to, to, you know, walking up to the plate to be the sacrificial lamb. And for what? And for this one particular situation, it was, um, you know, a little, we can call it a misunderstanding. We can call it not seeing eye to eye on a situation, but I left it at what it was. And when I think back on it, there was a similar situation that happened and I left it as it was. I left it at what it was, but never really heard from that person. So there was no initiation of conversation on their part until maybe like a year later, something like that, which is fine with me because one thing about it, as much as I don't like conflict, I also don't like holding grudges. And so I feel like If someone, in order for us to have conflict, you have to absolutely know me, right? I'm not going to claim conflict with somebody that I don't fuck with. And so, again, if we've gotten to that stage to where there's a misunderstanding or tension or conflict, that means you know me, right? So if you know me, then you should know that I'm not really holding a grudge behind it. So... If I'm not holding a grudge behind it, what's keeping you from initiating a continuation in the relationship? I know my reason, but I know I've also done it before. You know, I know I've done the the part of giving it space and I don't think people really understand that. So when you fall out with someone, if you're sitting on your end of the situation and they're sitting on their end of the situation, what keeps you from calling that person? What keeps you from initiating it if everything was hunky dory besides this one thing? And it's a conversation I end up having with a lady today. But when we're when we present these expectations on someone or when we make a statement or take account that there's a standstill in the relationship, is it ego based? Well, I'm not calling them because of this, 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 that. Is it based off of ego, though? Is it based off of seeing the bigger picture and understanding that this is what you need for your life at this point? But even that's a fine line because we get comfortable in saying, well, but me, but me and how I feel. Which is cool. But it's more convenient for a person who is willing to be by themselves. In all accounts. And you end up being that person that is the presenter of critique and um, correction and not doing it in a way that is palatable or digestible for the person that you want to understand it. It's a double edged sword, man. It is. 
My goal is always to do better. My goal has always, always, always to do better. Better in relationships, better with interpersonal situations, whether it's at work, whether it's people on the street. But at some point in time, at some point in time, I can't, I can't keep sacrificing myself for the, for the comfort or for the, yeah, for the comfort of someone else, for the ease of someone else's situation. Oh, well, you know, they have a hard time communicating. Well, shit, I can have a hard time communicating too if I wanted to. If this is a group project and on the outside looking in, we're getting group credit for how well we work together, whether it's friendships. Oh, you guys have been friends for so long, but who, who's who been holding up this friendship for years? And I challenge everyone to really look at their relationships Look at their relationships with their cousins. Look at their relationships with their siblings. Look at your relationships with your friends, with your coworkers, with your partners, business or intimate relationships. Who is holding up this? um, what, What can we call it? Who's holding up more legs on this table? That's even two legs, four legs all together. Do you have one leg? Does the other person have three? Do you have three legs and the other person has one? Does the other person have no legs and you're holding up all four? What about those times when you're not feeling the best and one of your legs gives out? Does the relationship suffer? If you're having an off day... If they're having an off day, do you come up and pick up the pieces? Because the quality of the the relationship actually matters. It's some shit to really consider. How do you show up? Because we all want to be... What's the word? Appreciated and acknowledged for our self-worth. We want to be connected with people who understand who we are and to you know really fuck with us heavy who we are at our authentic selves but we also have to make sure we do that for others there's a difference between compromise and sacrifice by all means, I'm willing to compromise, but I am no longer willing to sacrifice. <sighs> I think I got it all off my chest now. This was fun. Hopefully, I'll see you guys on the other side. Bye.